I wonder, where do you turn to when trouble knocks on your door? When life hits rock bottom and it appears there's no way out of the situation you face. For me, age six as a child, when my nanny died, I used to cry myself to sleep singing, Where is Love? The theme from Oliver, if you remember it. Even when I hear it now, it produces tears. As an adult, it was the grounds of Elizabeth Gardens or even the grounds of Salisbury Cathedral. Another place was Muddyford Quay and the storms and the really rough weather. You see, we all have a trysting place, somewhere to go to when disaster strikes. However, in Psalm 3, the unthinkable has happened. David has taken refuge because his own son, Absalom, was out to kill him. Call it weak parenting or weak in character, King David has not been a good example to the people of Israel, let alone his close family. And this weakness followed in the lives of his children. If you were to take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 13, where you read of incest, rape, and murder. So what does David do about it? Nothing. Absalom has desired to be king and is after his father's throne. Some would say he went about it in a clever way. Others would argue he was crafty. He'd gained this following of 50 men, had a chariot and horses, and awoke early to meet the people who came to the city gate with their complaints. You see, complaints were shared at the city gate before being taken to the king for a decision. Absalom sat there, ready to listen to what was said, and then identified himself as one from the tribes of Israel. He would say, your claims are valid and proper. If I were appointed judge in the land, I would see that you received justice. He was clever. He was manipulative, even sucking up to those who came down to him by reaching out his hand and kissing them. This is how he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Some four years had passed, and he now had over 200 men on his side who innocently followed Absalom from Jerusalem to Hebron. Word got to David that the hearts of the men were with Absalom, so he fled. This time, not south to his old camping, campaigning activity, but east and north, a three-day journey to Mahanaim, a place where he felt that he would be among friends, and he was right. So here lies the background to David's dilemma. When I trained for the ministry, I was told not to repeat the same word when explaining something. However, David disagrees with my Oxford lecturers, for he uses the word many three times in as many sentences. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying to me, there is no help for you in God. Now it is possible they knew about his adultery with Bathsheba, 
and the murder of Uriah, as we heard last week from Roy. And you can sense they were saying, you hypocrite, how can you claim to follow God? God surely is not on the side of a fraud. Scroll forward to Jesus. He went through similar trials when upon the cross. His enemies haunted him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he delights in him. But there's a major difference here. For David knew he was guilty of his sins. Yet Jesus was without sin, without guilt. Although in ministry I have had my fair share of challenging situations, I have not faced a disgruntled faction in the church. However, I have faced a difficult senior minister in another church. See, these painful situations follow a pattern like Absalom's rebellion. A leader or several leaders begin to spread seeds of discouragement or discontentment among the church, which infects others who are unhappy about something. People gravitate towards these leaders saying, they understand their complaints, and the word spreads to more people, and the thing snowballs. I have a long list of former ministerial friends who have fallen beneath the feet of others and are now out of ministry picking up the pieces. It is so sad. It is so wrong, even. You can sense that David understands his situation, but he knows the Lord is with him. For in verse 3 we read, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. Shield is first used in Genesis 15, verse 1, when God told Abraham that he is Abraham's shield and found throughout the Psalms. It means that God is our protector and defender. He shields us from our enemies' attacks. But did you see how David personalizes it, saying, the Lord is a shield about me? So we too must own it as our faith in the Lord. It must be personal. Regardless of whether God restored David or not, David is acknowledging that the Lord is his only claim to glory. As for us as Christians, we will share in Christ's glory. Now, to lift up the head is a Hebrew expression for restoring someone who is cast down, someone who has lost position and dignity. Do you remember when Joseph told the cupbearer that Pharaoh will lift, your, lift up your head and restore you to your office? It refers of God restoring to us the joy that we once had before the crisis brought us down low. J.J.S. Peroni, in the book of Psalms, observes that David's crying to the Lord with his voice does not express a single act, but the habit of a life. Spurgeon once said, We need not fear a frowning world while we rejoice in a prayer-hearing God. God's holy hill refers to Mount Zion in Jerusalem, where the Ark of the Covenant remained. 
Zadok and the Levites were carrying the ark to join David in his escape. But David sent them back to the city. You see, we too should learn to humble ourselves before God, realizing that our only plea is in his grace. Also, no matter where we are at, or what kind of difficult circumstances we face, even if such circumstances and difficulties are the result of our own sin and failure, we can cry out to the Lord for his grace and know that he listens. And he will answer according to his purpose. This is what David did when his life was in turmoil. He turned to the Lord in prayer, and so should we. You see, when we turn to the Lord in prayer, we receive his peace. The whole of Psalm 3, but especially verses 5 to 6, is a real-life drama illustrating Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. David cried out to God in prayer. And what did he do next? He went to sleep. But not in the palace, but in the wilderness. And do you know what? He slept all through the night. It reminds me of Peter the night before his intended execution. He was so sound asleep in the prison between two guards that the angel who came to rescue him had to hit him to wake him up. David awoke safe and sound because the Lord sustained him. As reports came in of the tens of thousands set against him, he was not afraid. You see, when the Lord is your shield and the one who sustains you, the odds or numbers against you don't matter. As someone has said, one plus God is a majority. Or as Paul puts it in Romans, if God is for us, who is against us? And he goes on to say that even if we are like sheep for the slaughter, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Even if our enemies kill us, we can have God's peace in our soul. In a make-believe world, David could have said amen after verse 6. But in the real world, for not only you, but also hundreds of loyal supporters and their families are depending on you, anxiety has a way of creeping back in. So David cries out to God again in verse 7 to 8, Rise up, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. 
In verse 1, many are rising up against David. Now he uses the same verb to ask God to rise up against his enemies. In verse 2, David's skeptics had said that God would not deliver him. David uses the same verb to ask God to save him. He pictures his enemies as ravenous beasts, bearing their teeth ready to devour him. So David asked God to break their teeth, which would render them powerless. The verb may be translated as petitions, as they reflect David's sure confidence that God would act. So he wrote as if he already had acted. But consider this, to whom was this directed to? It was his son, Absalom. It must have broken his heart to pray this, but prayer leaves the outcome in the hands of God, the only place where it can be left with safety. David's final exclamation, deliverance belongs to the Lord, shows that David was not depending on his troops or his counselors that had planned to mislead Absalom or any military strategy. Rather, he acknowledges that any victory would come from God. When we cast ourselves on God alone for deliverance, he gets all the praise when he answers our prayers. David's final request, may your blessing be on your people, shows that David was not praying selfishly. He was the anointed king of God's people. Absalom's rebellion negatively affected the entire nation. So when David asked God to deliver him, he saw it in terms of God blessing his people. Believing prayer always keeps the kingdom purpose in focus. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If your world has been fallen apart because you've been wiped out financially or your marriage is in trouble or your child has rebelled, don't just pray selfishly so that your happy world might be restored. Pray in the light of God's kingdom purposes. Pray that God will act, that he will be glorified, as his people will be blessed and strengthened. David turned this horrible experience of betrayal, emotional pain, and nearly being killed into a song of praise. This teaches us that God can use our worst trials to deepen our trust in him and to produce praises that will encourage his people. When life falls apart, you can experience God's peace by laying hold of him and believing prayer. When he answers, he gets the glory, you get the joy, and God's people get the blessing. In my research into Psalm 3, I came across a situation of another pastor who shared about his situation. He said, 
I've never gone through anything close to David's experience. I have weathered a few difficult attacks on one such occasion as I faced a difficult meeting that evening. I spent the day fasting and seeking the Lord in prayer. I realized that not only was my survival as the pastor of this church, but also the well-being of the church. About midday, the Lord encouraged me with a phone call from the man who had succeeded me as the pastor in another church. He had learned about the crisis here because one of my opponents had called him to try and dig up some dirt to use against me. But this pastor told me that the elders at my former church had been up past midnight praying for me. They were standing behind me. He says, but as I walked along the pavement towards the meeting that evening, I was anxious. I asked the Lord, why do I not have this peace in this situation? He says, I was reciting Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Those two words, with thanksgiving, hit me between the eyes. It was as if the Lord had said, I haven't heard you thanking me for this opportunity to trust me. I stopped, bowed my head and whispered, Lord, thank you for this trial. I immediately sensed his peace. He worked that evening to deliver me. Whether it's a minor crisis or whether life is falling apart at the seams, if Jesus is your high priest, you have access through his blood to the same prayer-hearing God who rescued David. Even if the crisis is as a result of your own sin, humble yourself before him in repentant, believing prayer, and he will exalt you at the proper time. May our relationship with God be like David's, one of trust and total dependency. May we experience his peace, and may we know his presence in the good times and the bad times. Amen.